0: in any sort of trauma why it's trauma is because it scars your brain and unlike the body once once the body heals physically heals typically there's that um mental trauma lingering about um and that's with any with with any sort of trauma not just trauma burn um and that is where that is that is where you've got to focus on to get over it or and effectually start over or as you say uh, reboot um that is ultimately what you've got to do where you've got to focus your attention is on the psyche, and yes, doing physical activity definitely helps, but ultimately um you know where the battle wages. Where the battle rages is in the psyche of the individual, not in um, not in what they can do physically. A man can experience an incredible amount of pain and suffering if he has hope. When he loses that hope, his soul dies, his body withers, and he no longer feels like living. My advice is, Do not lose hope. There is always hope. But you have to believe for that hope to be there. No one is going to give it to you. No one is going to make the decision to make you hope. That is your responsibility. Do not ever lose hope.
1: Hey there. You're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business, all walks of life, anonymous or named, high-profile or low-down, stories with heart, soul, and grit, because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winch
2: Reboots episode R029 features Lee Lucas a man who knows about finding and holding on to hope in the midst of tremendous and prolonged pain. Lee, you see, was badly burned in an overnight structure fire back in 2005 In a dramatic rescue, firefighters pulled him out of his condominium with less than a minute to spare before the building collapsed. Shocked that he was still breathing, the firefighters treated him and then turned him over to a unit that transported him to a nearby hospital. With second, third, and fourth degree burns to 35% of his body and inside his lungs, and a carbon monoxide level of 37.4% in his blood, doctors gave Lee's parents no hope. Lee spent 111 days in the hospital. It took more than two and a half years for his wounds to close and another couple of years for the scar tissue and skin grafts to stretch. Today, Lee has resumed full-time work, he volunteers at area Alabama burn units, and he travels the globe on missionary trips. Also, as we release this episode in late July 2018, Lee is about to be married. In this interview, we talk with Lee about the anger he experienced in the early days of his recovery and what helped him find meaning and hope While enduring excruciating pain, Lee shares his thoughts on how empathy has brought him understanding that helps him minister to others. And he also reminds us that we all have an important story to share even if our experiences aren't nearly as dramatic as Lee's experience of the past dozen years or so. Hey, Lee, thank you so much for inviting us into your life. I I really appreciate the opportunity to get to know you and to share you with our audience.
0: Thank you, Tracy. Happy to be here. First thing I want
2: to do is just get an idea of what your life is like now.
0: Life right now, um, I work full time. For a life insurance company. Um, I own a home. I have a dog. I have a fiance. And uh, annually, I go on uh, mission trips um, to various places throughout the world. And you're just
2: recently engaged. Congratulations.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. Yes, just uh, got engaged about uh, three and a half weeks ago.
2: Wow, that's really cool. Well, Tell me a little bit about where you share your story and why you share your story.
0: I share my story um, up in the, to other burn patients, up in the burn clinic, um, basically to anyone who wants to hear. Um, One of the reasons I go on mission trips is because it's very powerful and healing for me, even years after I was burned, which I was burned almost 13 years ago. It's very healing for me still to use my experience of recovering physically through my experience of being burned, using that experience to encourage others. Um, It helps me greatly deal with it, deal with what I've been through. And in fact, it almost, in a um, lighter sense to me personally, it gives what I've been through a special meaning to me um, and helps me deal with it more.
2: Wow. It's so powerful. Um, and, and you mentioned before we rolled tape that, um, something that I'd never really thought about. Even after the 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 burns heal, there's still the brain trauma behind that.
0: Oh yes, it, it, in any sort of trauma, why it's trauma is because it scars your brain. And unlike the body, once once the body heals physically heals, typically there's that um, mental trauma lingering about. Um, and that's with any, with with any sort of trauma, not just trauma burn, um, and that is where, that is that is where you've got to focus on to get over it, or, and effectually start over, or as you say, uh, reboot. Um, that is ultimately what you've got to do. Where you've got to focus your attention is on the psyche, and yes, doing physical activity definitely helps. But ultimately, um, you know, where the battle wages, where the battle rages is in the psyche of the individual, not in um, not in what they can do physically.
2: Well, well, without further ado, then um, let's let's get to what happened that you ended up in a in a burn unit.
0: Let's see, it was October of 2005. I was asleep in a condominium. And um, this condominium were, was actually an old converted apartment built in the 60s. Uh, this condominium had eight units. My, bu- my unit was on the second floor. There were uh, shared attics in this condominium. So I went up in, to my uh, jumped up into my attic one day I remember and looking across and I could see um, I could see where other people in on my floor could poke up in their attic and like store stuff. Um I was asleep in my condominium probably uh two or two thirty in the morning. A neighbor of mine across the way was cooking something in grease. His kitchen caught on fire. He attempted to put water on it to put the fire out, and the water of course spread, and it came up, um, spread through the walls, the air ducts, Um, ultimately it engulfed the entire building from what I heard um, within uh, a matter of minutes. The neighbor went around to everyone's door knocking on them, trying to wake wake everyone up to get them out the door. I did not wake up. I had an ADT alarm system. That ADT alarm system called me. I did not answer. They called my parents, which thankfully lives only a mile or mile and a half away. My parents rushed over to my condominium to find my building engulfed in flames flames soaring 30, 40 feet above above the building. They saw firemen putting out the fire, a barricade of police around the fire, and um, a crop of, um, of onlookers, uh, you know, watching the, uh, the devastation as it burned. Now, of course, I did not wake up when the individual knocked on my door, nor did I wake up when the ADT called. My parents frantically looked around the uh, gathering of people and did not find me, went and told a police officer that I was not accounted for. That police officer then told a fireman, and the firemen dropped their hoses, or two of the firemen dropped their hoses and went up a ladder into my uh, condominium and found me. When they found me, I was lying in about three inches of water with my shins facing the floor and my stomach facing the ceiling. The firemen could feel the heat of the water through their boots. Mm. I was underneath the threshold between my bedroom and a small hallway. They uh, immediately checked for breathing, and to the surprise of the firemen, I was breathing. They pulled me up, took me to, um, got me outside, me over the railing, handed me to another fireman who then uh, put me in the ambulance, asked my mom if she wanted to ride. My mom jumped in the ambulance and my dad followed closely behind, made the, uh, I guess it was about eight or 10 mile trek to UAB Hospital, University of Alabama, Birmingham Hospital, the ER. Um, While in the ambulance, from what I've been told, I was immediately intubated. Immediately had a a, um, hose stuck down my throat to force air down. Um, I was told that at that time my skin was black and crusty from basically being, um, you know, being burned alive. I got to the hospital and um, the ER surgeon, the ER doctor on, on call. Um, saw me and pretty much gave my family no hope I would survive. After the ER doctor and the burn doctor consulted, they went and spoke with my parents and told my parents that um, I had a zero to five or 10% chance of living. And that if I did live, I would be completely brain dead. My mother just looked at that doctor square in the eye and said, We don't know about that. We'll have to talk to the Lord about it. Hmm. Um, Ultimately, after the initial 72-hour period, which is, from what I've told, the the most critical, after the initial 72-hour period, I was given a brain scan, a CT scan, and uh, my brain scan was stone cold clear, so I did not have any brain damage.
2: Wow. So... Your brain scan is is clear, which is is. Would you consider that a, a, a miracle? Does your family consider that to be a miracle or just inexplicable? How do you describe that?
0: The, my family, even the doctor, said that um, it was a completely impossible and defied medical science. My like carbon monoxide level at the at the point of admission into the emergency room was 37.4%. So 37.4% of my blood was carbon monoxide, which is, of course, an extremely deadly poison. And people die from carbon monoxide poisoning all the time. Um, So yes, I, along with my family and um, several other doctors, consider it a miracle and something that cannot be explained by medical science.
2: And so that's the good news, but the bad news is is that now you probably have uh, a, a trauma in terms of how much skin is burned and what, what that's going to take. Tell me about that.
0: Yes, ma'am. Um, I had second, third, and fourth degree burns over 35% of my body. I had second degree burns on parts of my chest, uh, chest and arms third-degree burns on my stomach, buttocks, and legs, and fourth-degree burns on both of my shins. A fourth-degree burn is down to the bone. Um, Of course, with any burn survivor, with that amount of body surface being burned, they got to go through skin grafts. And one of the things they did on my shins, because the burns were so deep, They did something that's called an oasis, which um, from what I understand is a very, um, is a very detailed, almost a culture type, um, almost a culture type procedure to um, help skin grow in that area before a uh, skin graft can be performed on that specific location.
2: And so, where 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 your medical team is is at this point is just to try to get you to heal so that you have some semblance of a quality of life,
0: right? Absolutely. At this point, I'm still I'm still unconscious. At this point, I have not woken up since I initially went to sleep the night of the fire. Um, and my medical team, once I've uh, cleared the initial seventy two hour period. And the brain scan was stone cold clear. Their next step was making sure that, you know, my body would heal—not only heal, but to um, keep clear of any infection. Um, you know, so keep me infection clear, keep everything clean. Uh, Coming and cleaning the wounds daily, and making sure that um, always, uh, I was—I remained in a in a uh, clean, highly clean environment.
2: Now how, how how long did it take for you to wake up? I, my guess is they kept you in a drug-induced coma for as long as possible or or how how does how does that work?
0: Yes, I was in a medically induced coma for 21 days. Wow. And the 21-day period was fixed because it was From what I've been told that 21-day mark was when the doctor was going to perform a tracheotomy on me. And my parents and even my nurse at the time did not think that a tracheotomy was needed and did not want a tracheotomy on me, thought I could survive just fine without it. And so we waited until the last minute to – when a tracheotomy would be mandatory and then I was brought out of the coma. Hmm.
2: Now, at this point, I can't even imagine the the pain of dressing those wounds and then what you're thinking and how all that transpired. So um, I'm leading you down two different paths here. One is emotional and the other is, is physical. And I guess uh, whichever one comes to mind first. Tell us about that.
0: I guess physically – A burn dressing consists of the burn patient having their bandages clipped off, their wounds washed, and then their their wounds bandaged back up. It is the most painful procedure, the most pain I have ever experienced in my entire life. When the initial bandages would be removed, it almost felt like someone had wrapped duct tape on my skin and just yanked it off. Mm. Um, you know, if you, if you've ever had an open wound on your hand or anywhere on your body and you've rubbed soapy water on it you get that sting, that was uh, similar to the sting that I felt when my wounds were being washed, however, multiplied by about a hundred. Mm. Um, and then bandaged bandaging back up and in You know, going through it, going through it all, I was to a point, yes, I was awake, I was conscious, but I was on so much medication, I really did not know what was happening. And after I'd been through a couple of burn dressings, I came to the conclusion that someone was clipping these bandages off of me, washing my wounds, and bandaging me back up just so they could enjoy the agony of clipping off my wounds and hearing me scream. Um, it wasn't until I really got a clear head, um, and had some medication changed that I completely understood what was going on.
2: Was there a point where you just said enough?
0: Absolutely. Yes. There was a point, um, when um, I became uh, I became angry with um, with everyone, angry with God, with my parents, with the doctors, with the nurses. I did not want anyone to come and see me. That was the moment when I allowed hatred to creep in and um, overtake hope.
2: How long did you sit in that misery stew? I mean, physical misery and spiritual and emotional misery. It
0: was it was probably. Uh, you know, two or three days, a couple of days. Um, The morning of the fire, some friends of my parents, some friends of ours brought a Bible up to the waiting room and people started underlining phrases within that Bible. And this was mainly for my parents because at this point they did not know or did not, you know, odds were that I was not going to survive. However, when I survived, that Bible came to me. And it had sat by my bedside throughout my entire time in my hospital room. And I just remember picking it up and reading, going through it, and just looking at all the underlined passages. And I got to one passage that said, it's actually John chapter 9, verse 3. That passage was John chapter 9, verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said, Jesus, but this happened so that the work of the Lord might be displayed in his life. And once I read that verse, a light bulb went off in my head. And I was thinking, you know what? Um, All these uh, thoughts I've been having, all this hate that's filled me up. You know, um, I'm going to choose to look at this as a work of God and work through it and make sure that I do my very best to uh, make a full recovery and um, walk out of this hospital better better than I did when I entered.
2: How many days were you there before you did? Leave the hospital.
0: Uh, uh, my initial stay in the hospital was 107 days. Wow! And that was that was in the see that was in the trauma burn intensive care unit, then the trauma burn nursing unit, and then Spain rehab.
2: Did you walk out the first
0: time? I did not walk out. I mean, I was in a wheelchair, but um, once I got into the parking lot, I stood up. So.
2: Wow. <laughs> All right. And then there, as you've kind of alluded to, there are a whole lot of grafts and surgeries. How, how long did this go on where you weren't working and your whole life was consumed with physically healing and emotionally learning to deal with this, this trauma and healing from that?
0: So uh, I had nine skin grafts. Um, And those skin grafts, eight of them were done when I was in the hospital, and one of them was done um, a few months after I'd returned home from the hospital. Initially, I was out of work for seven months, and I went back part-time 20 hours a week for about another year or so, and then up to 32 hours, and eventually to 40. So I would say my full recovery physically took four years. It took two years and seven months for all of my wounds to close, and it took another almost year and a half for me to successfully and uh, be be comfortable with stretching out my scar tissue. Because my burns, you know, a lot of the some of the the grafts were some of the grafts were over my knees and my waist, um, so I had to continuously bend. And uh, bend and bend to make sure that um, you know, they would flex well enough so I wouldn't basically walk around like Frankenstein all day. Um, so yes, a total of about four years of full recovery. Do
2: you do you ever stop and just say thank you, God that? I actually can walk and that I can bend my knees and my waist is, is that, do you ever think about what a
0: gift that is? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every day. I thank God for, um, not only seeing me through, but, um, getting me to where I am today. And, um, Not only where I am today, but what I can do and um, ask him also to help me use my injury to encourage others. Just like that Bible verse, John chapter 9, verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sin, said Jesus, but this happens so that the work of the Lord might be displayed in his life. So I'm on that back end of that verse right now. Um, so that this may be used to show the work of the Lord in His life. And that's one of the reasons why I take part in the burn community and do these mission trips, spreading the love of God through my story of being burned.
2: And this is this is fascinating to me, Lee. That you know, y- you talk about more than four years of of having to step up from no work to 20 hours and then to 36 and then your standard time and that you were physically that incapacitated that you had to be really careful where you expended your energy. At what point did you say, I'm going to make sure I save an hour a day or two hours a day at the end of the day to go back to the burn unit and, and just sit with people who are where you were months before.
0: See, initially it started when I was in the hospital. One of my nurses who worked with me kept encouraging me to go and visit other patients on the floor who were ultimately giving him a hard time. I would go and visit them to talk with them about, um, you know, being burned about what I went through and, um, you know about how there is, a, there is hope. Um, when I got out of the hospital, when I would go back for visits with the burn doctor or to rehab, I would frequently go to the burn unit and just um, typically a nurse would say, hey, we got someone here we need you to talk to if possible. After I was released from the hospital, I went back a couple of times. I went to the children's burn unit. And uh, a couple of times the UAB burn unit. And then I I stopped going for a while. I started going on these mission trips. You know, I'd been journaling the whole time throughout this process. My family had kept a journal from the morning I was burned throughout my recovery. And I'd been writing and jotting things down ever since. um, Ever since I'd gotten recovered and even... Some when I was still burned, when I still had open wounds. Uh, so what I did during this time, when the window, when I did not go up to the burn unit that often, but was started going on these mission trips, is I started combining and piecing together this journal and trying to create a story on paper that could talk about my book, that could talk about um, my journey as a burn survivor.
2: That is a, a, a now a published book. The the struggle within, right?
0: Yes, ma'am. It's called A Struggle Within The True Story of a Burn Survivor. See, right about the time when I was finished with that, because the book goes into a lot of what we've been talking about, about using your element, your trauma, you know, your experience to encourage another. And about the time I got finished with the book, I started contacting the burn unit, and I got in touch with a gentleman who runs the support group, another burn survivor, and um, went up to a meeting and started becoming a regular member. Um, And it's our mandate as a group to... Ultimately, use our experience, use what we've been through, to encourage other burn survivors. Period. Um, it's all volunteer, um, and uh, you know it was it was the initial group that was there when I was in the hospital.
2: How, how do you know, Lee? How did you know when you were still physically, um, still compromised? How did you know when it was time to take care of yourself and rest and let your body heal and when you needed to expend an extra 30 minutes or an hour with someone else to help someone else emotionally heal and maybe further your healing? How do you how do you know when to expend energy and when to say
0: enough? Well, that's a, that's a fine balance and that ultimately is a very good question. Um, with me, which I mean, that, that's something that each individual has to come to their own terms, face their own selves to make that call. Um, I know with me, I would be feeling bad with my, bad about everything, be feeling awful. And I just want to be by myself, shut off in a room. And there, there were plenty of days when I did that, plenty of days. And then there came a time when um, when someone said, "Hey, you know, a family member or you know this guy from church knows somebody um, whose family member was burned. Would you mind going to talk with them?" And I say, "Yeah," and I go and talk with them uh, about being burned, about my story of being burned, about what to expect. You know, I found it amazing, um, even when I was in the hospital, about how um, you know just touching and feeling what a what a healed skin graft feels like um, can work wonders. And um, you know that 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 it, that experience, you know, going and sharing and encouraging another with my burn injury, another burn patient with my burn injury, gave my um, you know, gave what I went through a special meaning.
2: So you, you would like go to someone who's a few weeks behind you and say, here, here's the new skin and here's still, you know, here's seven months of healing and let them touch that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If it were, if it was a clean, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, now I didn't do that when I was in the hospital. But after I'd gotten out of the hospital and I would go back, that was when um, I, w- I would say, "Hey, here's what a healed skin graft looks like. You want to touch it?" When I was in the hospital and for you know a, a couple of months after um, all that stuff was wrapped up, um, I really didn't start allowing other people to feel my burn scars until. Um, until they'd been healed for you know a good couple of months, so that was well after I had um, gotten out of the hospital. no, when I was in the hospital, when I'd go and visit them in the hospital, I mean it was never to to my accord it was always because a nurse had in, was encouraged me to go and talk with another burn survivor. It was never like, "Hey, I want to go talk to somebody about what I've been through." It was you know me dealing with everything, then my nurse coming in and say, "Hey Lee, we got this burn patient down the road or down the hall, um, car wreck, friction burn on concrete, you know, third degree all up his leg. He's having a bad time. Would you mind just going and talking with
2: him? Did your nurse ever tell you later on, "Oh, by the way, I know you were having a bad time too, and I knew it was doing you good?"
0: No, no, I never um no no never never got that from, from the nurse. Now my uh, parents did notice that my on one occasion I recall while I'm in the hospital and I went and spoke with another burn survivor, my parents did notice that my countenance, my facial expression, my overall look of my face had changed. Um but as far as anyone saying, you know, the reason you look you did this, you, you look better, is because you wouldn't talk with this firm patient. No, that never happened.
2: Well, we're we're quickly approaching the 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 top of the hour, and I've got a, a few questions that I that I want to ask you, but I also want to respect your time. Um, how how's your family? I know this had to Im- impact your family a lot. Um how have how have they coped with watching you in such immense pain and then watching your recovery? How has that impacted them?
0: It has reaffirmed their faith. Now initially going through everything, they hated it worse than I did. And I remember I remember them saying Or my mom, I remember my mom saying, hey, I'm feeling this pain. And I was like, you're not feeling this pain. I'm feeling this pain. She's like, I'm feeling it because you're feeling it. I'm like, yeah. You know, does it sting every time you sit down? Does it hurt every time you walk? Does it hurt when the wind blows? Um, So uh, awfully rude. and said some very rude things to my dad kind of similarly. Um, But being in a, um, in that sort of condition, I I don't want to say it's warranted, but it's you know, it's understandable if you got wounds all over your body. Um
2: You're gonna but, be a little cranky, right? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> absolutely. But ultimately, ultimately, um it, it's reaffirmed their faith. It reaffirmed faith of family, even several friends of mine um have said um, you know, we saw God work. Um that that's only explanation because they were there. They went there to the hospital that first night. They knew everything was happening. They'd come back and visit, see me in a coma, um, and been up and around. And they were with me throughout the process. And yes, um, it's reaffirmed faith for my family and for my friends.
2: What good in your life exists today that would not have existed but for this trauma?
0: I would say it has given me a great story to tell of the power of God. It's given me a personal story that can touch a lot of people in so many ways of the power and healing of... um, of, of faith and in Jesus Christ now I personally believe that um, you know a miracle is a miracle in God's eyes that what occurred to me my healing yes that was a miracle but I also believe that you um, know it's a miracle that a single mom can raise her child um, but, I believe that, as far as people are concerned, that oftentimes they have to see, you know, a, a, a different circumstance in people, and something they see every day, such as um, recovery from such a trauma, and willing to use it for God's glory, to um, to see God act, rather than looking squarely down the street and saying, oh, well, that mother's raising her child on her own. That mother's working full-time and raising her child on her own. That's a miracle. Um, oh, this this guy, he was burned. He was not supposed to survive. He went through all this skin grass, all this um, carbon monoxide poisoning, all this pain and suffering, and he's alive. That's a miracle. You know, they don't associate him as being the same um, they associate what happened to me to be greater, a greater show of God's work, which I do not believe that to be true. Um, however, um, the majority of people seem to think that way, in my opinion. And um, so it's given me an avenue to to show God's, God's glory, God's power, God's strength.
2: Lee, do you have – do you think you have – more empathy now than you did before you were burned?
0: Absolutely.
2: How does that help you minister to people then?
0: Well, it helps me because one of the things that I try to do whenever I discuss my story with someone is I try to emphasize that you have a story What you've been through, what you've experienced is a story, a vessel that can be used to to share God. Um, It doesn't have to be a spectacular drama. Um, Your story is your story. It's who you are. And when you tell it and you use it to spread God's love, you are in effect um, showing um, the basic root of discipleship you know, what we are all supposed to do as Christians. Um, So, yes, always, always, uh, you know, what I went through, even the book I wrote, I wrote the book to encourage. If you happen to pick up the book and read it, know it was written to encourage. And my hope is, is that after you read the book, you will tell someone else about it or give them your copy in an attempt to encourage them.
2: Well, that's a heck of a segue because my next question is what advice or encouragement do you have for someone who is is dealing with immense pain right now, unimaginable, unimaginable pain, or even a, a family member or a loved one who is – in excruciating pain just by watching that person in pain
0: let's see you know um, a man can experience an incredible amount of pain and suffering if he has hope when he loses that hope his soul dies his body withers and he no longer feels like living my advice is do not lose hope. There is always hope. But you have to believe for that hope to be there. No one is going to give it to you. No one is going to make the decision to make you hope. That is your responsibility. Do not ever lose hope.
2: No one is going to give you hope? Wow. Wow. That's so true. So hope is something you can just go di- make a decision. That's that's what happened to you, isn't it, Lee? That, that Bible verse helped you find hope, didn't it?
0: Yes, yes, yes. And yes, people can talk to you, can encourage you all they want to, all to your liking and to your desire. But if you do not make the decision yourself, it says, hey... I'm going to use my experience to encourage another. I'm going to make sure that my um, that what I've been through has a special meaning that what I've been through um, you know is something that I can turn around and help another with. You know, it's up to you. it's up to the individual to decide that. It's not up to anybody else.
2: Wow, so two quick questions. And then I'll let you go. Um, The first question is, um, how can someone help you with your ministry to overseas missions or helping other people um, who have experienced burn trauma?
0: Well, a portion of all sales from my book, which is on Amazon.com go to a flat percentage goes directly to benefit the Tony Bice Memorial golf tournament and the Tony Bice Memorial golf tournament benefits university of South Alabama burn center, university of Alabama burn center and children's of Alabama burn center. So otherwise um, I would say get involved volunteer at your local hospital. If there's not a burn unit, there's definitely one in the state. Whatever hospital has a trauma one unit, um, they should have a burn unit there, get involved, volunteer, ask how you can help. Um, Oftentimes they'll have charitable events like this Tony vice Memorial golf tournament and proceeds 100% of the proceeds from such tournament and hopefully from other events around the country go directly to benefit burn survivors, burn care, um, children, burn, children's with burns. Um, that I that I would say would be the most direct, uh, direct way. Okay.
2: And the last question is, uh, do you, do you have a specific tool or uh, a scripture, something that you would recommend to others to help them find their way to hope?
0: I would say, and I am dead set on it, is that same verse we've been talking about, John chapter 9, verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of the Lord might be displayed in his life. That verse, if you break it down, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. So speaking, of something that has occurred, something that has happened, um, but this occurred so that the work of the Lord might be displayed. In this life, that that verse is, speaks of recovery, it reeks of it. That is a verse that um, you know reflects a uh, an attitude, an attitude changing um, that um, goes to recovery. That is what I. That is the Bible verse I would recommend. John chapter nine, verse three.
2: Thank you, Lee. What have I have I left anything out? Is there is there anything else that um, you need to you feel led to share? You
0: know, if you're if you're if you're sharing your story in an attempt to encourage another, uh, oftentimes, especially starting out, your story will seem. Dull or too long or too short or not enough details or too many ums and ohs and pauses in it. And the only way it's going to get better and broken down is by you practicing it. The best way to practice it is to go out and tell it. So initially I would suggest telling your story to a family member or a friend and get their um, get their opinion on it on how, um, how it flowed. You typically want to keep it within a, you know, especially when talking to someone face-to-face, you want to keep it to no longer than a couple of minutes. Um, so um, that's what I would say is when you're going out to tell your story, that you refine it and speak of it in such a way that, um, that it flows naturally and covers the broad aspects of your story. If the person you're talking to wants to hear more, they'll ask you about it.
2: That is so good. Thank you, Lee. I yes, appreciate absolutely. your time so
0: much. Absolutely. Thank you, Tracy.
2: Whew! What a story, right? I'm reading Lee's book, A Struggle Within: The True Story of a Burn Survivor. It is tremendous. The book is a first-person account of Lee's recovery journey and also features several other perspectives, including excerpts from his parents and the firefighter who rescued him and some other people who were very important as Lee began his very long recovery journey. Thank you, Lee, for sending me a copy and for reminding all of us, actually not reminding me, helping me understand something I'd never really thought about. We are responsible for finding our own hope. It's within us. You can get a copy of this book at Amazon. There's a link in the show notes. Do you know somebody who could benefit from hearing Lee's story? Would you please, please share it on social media? Would you share it via email or your friends? It's really easy to share. Just go to our our website, uh, rebootspodcast.com forward slash episode two nine. There is a player that makes it super easy to share on social media and via email. Also, would you mind consider leaving us an honest review about this episode or any other episode in the iTunes store? We're it really easy to find find. Just search for Reboots Podcast. Tracy Winchell. That's T-R-A-C-Y-W-I-N-C-H-E-L-L. I'm Tracy Winchell, and we'll see you next time.
1: We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots Podcast. It's easy to share from our website, rebootspodcast.com. The Reboots Podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated, a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive
0: way and to achieve financial freedom.